John Piper drops a 752-page book titled Providence. 752 pages! This must be an author who trusts that God himself will bring readers to read this book. Readers who can commit the time to see and savour the providence of God. Are you that reader? Listen to today's review. Hi, my name is Terence and I'm your host for Reading and Readers, a podcast where I review Christian books for you. Every month, I review a book from Faith Life's free book of the month. And while waiting for the free book for the month of May, I review a book of my choice. And today, that book is Providence by John Piper. Who doesn't know John Piper? For one thing, young Christians, or perhaps Christians who swim in different waters from mine. For a start, I can tell you that Pastor John Piper is a respected preacher and teacher. And that is an understatement. Instead of reading his resume, let me share with you what Pastor John Piper means to me. In doing so, I declare any biases I may have in reviewing this book. And at the same time, you will know a bit more about Piper and myself. One of my greatest joys or crowning achievement in life was completing Piper's sermon series on Romans. That's 225 sermons preached chapter by chapter, verse by verse over many, many years. After that, I started and completed his sermon series on Hebrews, which was only 52 sermons long. Since then, I have not followed or watched or listened to his teaching on a regular basis. A lot of his work comes to me as articles or YouTube videos that were recommended by the people around me. I have never read the book that made him famous, which became the name of his ministry, Desiring God. I never read it because from his sermons, he had already fleshed out this Christian hedonism that he became famous for. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. So I admit my theology has been influenced by Piper's teaching, so can I be unbiased in reviewing this great man's work? This is an important question to me because I want to be impartial on the books I review. So I ask myself this question, what is the worst thing I can say about Providence by John Piper? And here it goes. This book is a mishmash bundle of previous books with clever marketing that was published in order for 75-year-old John Piper to cash in on his influence before he retires. If true, could I say that? Because that was quite nasty. I think I can, but in a more tender and less offensive way. But to say that would be a lie. I am pleased to say that this book is worth all the praises it has received and more praises to come. Also, Piper can't cash in on this book because this book is available for free in DesiringGod.org. Let me repeat, this book is available for free in www.DesiringGod.org. Piper can't cash in when people are not paying money for it. Knowing that it's free, would you read it? Well, it depends on what it's about, right? It's uh, 30 years of John Piper's ministry put together in one book, but it's not using materials scavenged from other works. It's a new work built from the ground up on the theme of providence or purposeful sovereignty. Providence in reference to God means, and I quote, the act of purposefully providing for or sustaining and governing the world, end quote. 
In the introduction, Piper extends four invitations to the reader. Now hear this and decide whether you want to accept his invitation. First, he invites you into a biblical world of counterintuitive wonders. Okay? He brings you into the Bible. He says, I quote, I will argue that these wonders are not illogical or contradictory, but they are different from our usual ways of seeing the world. So different that our first reaction is often to say, that can't be, but the can't is in our minds, not in reality. Second, he invites you to penetrate through words into reality. The issue is this, I quote, Is the reality that I see in the Bible and call providence really there? Later, he continues, The all-important truth is whether there is a reality in the Bible that corresponds to my description of the goal, nature, and extent of God's purposeful sovereignty. Okay, so end quote. He wants you to see that the words he used to that he is uh, uh, putting forth now describes reality, describes what is happening in the world. Third, he invites you into a God in trans world. I quote: Jesus said to look at the birds because God feeds them, and to consider the lilies because God clothes them. Jesus' aim was not aesthetic; his aim was to free his people from anxiety. And if you read Providence, you can be free from anxiety. That is what he's inviting you to. Fourth, and finally, he invites you to know, I quote, maybe as you never have known, the God whose involvement in his children's lives and in the world is so pervasive, so all-embracing, and so powerful that nothing can befall them but what he designs for their glorification in him and his glorification in them. End quote. If you accept his invitation, the rest of the book is divided into three parts, plus a conclusion. Part one defines providence and also answers the question, when God glorifies himself, is it arrogance? And the answer is no. Uh, part two is titled, The Ultimate Goal of Providence. This is divided into three sections, uh, beginning with creation, actually before creation, and continuing with Israel from Abraham to exile, and lastly, the last section, the third section, onto covenant, the new covenant. And what is this ultimate goal? Uh, Piper writes in, in the third section okay, of uh, part one, he writes, What we have seen in all the stages of providence, before creation, through the works of creation, and in the election of Israel, the exodus, the conquest of the promised land, the period of the judges, the monarchy, and the exile, and its reversal. Okay, all the previous sections which I just uh, read to you just now. Okay, now I continue. Uh, Piper writes, is that the ultimate purpose, the ultimate purpose of God's providence is that God be known and enjoyed and praised for who He really is. You shall know that I am the Lord. And... So that is the ultimate uh, goal of providence. And he describes it in different ways uh, throughout the whole uh, three uh, sections. And those three sections uh, help us to understand the part three. Part three is titled The Nature and Extent of Providence. This has nine sections. Okay, This, this part has nine sections, which encompasses 30 chapters. Did I mention that this is a 750-page book? 
because uh, nearly 500 pages is in part 3. And in this part 3, he writes in uh, these uh, chapters, God's providence is over. Okay, so God is in control over nature, Satan and demons, kings and nations, life and death, sin, conversion, and Christian living. And uh, the last chapter is the conclusion, and he summarizes part one, part two, part three, and he ends the book with 10 effects of seeing and savoring this providence. The 10 effects end this book nicely. I feel like a, like a kid at a toy shop where the generous owner gives me this and gives me that and he gives me this and gives me that. I mean, the 10 effects is just like full of in my hands. And I leave the shop with my hands full of praise to God. That is a wonderful way to end this book. Uh, the effects of seeing and savoring this providence. Now, you understand how this whole structure is, but how does it actually read? When you read it, how, how is it? All right. So, I want to describe to you, and it is like reading the last chapters of Job, but instead of God appearing, Paul appears. <laughs> um, let me try to explain. Do you know the story of Job? Job experiences suffering. His friends come to comfort him. They talk a lot and finally God answers in thunder. He stops everyone's mouths. Job literally says in chapter 40 verse 4, I lay my hand on my mouth. And so the, the key here I want to give you is that people could not say anything anymore, all right? Because uh, their mouths were stopped by what God has revealed. And so in the... Providence by Piper is kind of like this. Mankind experiences suffering and Christians and non-Christians talk a lot. And in Job, God thunders. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? So God is arguing from nature. But instead, in Providence, we have Paul <laughs> arguing from Scripture. But the result is the same. God is God. Who are you to speak? Okay, in a sense... And uh, we get uh, our mouths are stopped. So that's what I hope you, 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 you understand. The last chapter, it feels like the last chapter of Job, but instead of God appearing, Paul appears, and everyone's mouth is stopped. They are just fully convinced on providence, as stated clearly in the Bible. Now, I'm not saying Piper is Paul or Providence is the book of Job. I'm just trying to convey to you the sense as I read it. This book is uh, thunders with uh, biblical conviction. And uh, let's look into the writing. Uh, modern writing tends to go very heavy on anecdotes and how-tos. And there's nothing wrong with anecdotes. Jesus has many short stories or parables. And um, there are some personal stories in this book, but it's not really a memoir or it's not meant to be a full of John Piper's uh, life. And uh, many books also like um, the writer to explain applications, five ways to do this, ten ways to do that, three ways to do this. And uh, when I read this um, Providence, uh, every chapter, you are really only asked to do one thing, to be satisfied in God. <laughs> uh, I, I get that's the feeling I get. So there is not much of, uh, 
uh, five ways to do this and that, except perhaps the 10 effects of seeing and savouring. Um, but again, those are really the effects rather than what we should do as such. Now, there is one thing that this book is very heavy with, and that is Bible verses. There are too many. Um, at least that's what I thought when I first heard uh, uh, Piper promoting his book. There are 3,000 Bible verses in 700-odd pages. Um, I once heard a sermon by a first-timer preaching for a special occasion, so the person never preached before. Someone must have told the person that you can't go wrong with uh, Bible verses because that's basically what I got. I got a lot of Bible verses that day. I couldn't see how they were linked. Some were taken out of context, and I don't remember the main message. I only remember that there were too many Bible verses. And I was worried that I would get the same feeling reading 3,000 verses in 700 pages. But thankfully, no. If Bible verses are spices and herbs, John Piper has skillfully served a dish with 3,000 spices and herbs on a perfect plate. Or another way, if Bible verses were gems, jewels, Piper is showing the reader diamonds, rubies, emeralds, fires, and he puts them all in a very nice crown, a beautiful crown for the king of kings. So the Bible verses are treated very respectfully uh, by uh, John Piper, and he, he presents them to the reader and, uh, and invites us to uh, taste, to admire uh, God's revealed word. Some have uh, told me before that Piper is hard to read. And uh, yes and no. He is a gifted communicator. His uh, preaching and writing are very successful global ministries. Okay? He has made complicated theology easy to understand for many people. But at the same time, I think he secretly wished that he was born 300 years ago during the time of the Puritans, Owen, Sibs, or Edwards. And just to support what I just said, <clears throat> the, the Puritans uh, have long book titles. I'll give you an example from John Owen. He, write, he has this book where the title, the original title is The Nature, Power, Deceit, and Prevalence of the Remainders of Indwelling Sin in Believers, together with the ways of its working and means of prevention, open, events, and applied with a resolution of various cases of conscience pertaining to it. Don't worry if you don't understand what I just read, because I'm not too sure I understand it either. <laughs> but it is a very, very long title. Then you will wonder, but what am I talking about? Because John Piper's providence, the title is One Word. So why do I say that John Piper wants to be a Puritan? Or he is uh, in a Puritan. Because he must have restrained himself. By the time he reached the 700 page, he just unleashed his inner Puritan. In the conclusion chapter, The Ten Effects, all the subheadings are long, long as in it stretches across my 24-inch monitor. Let me read to you the longest. It's the ninth effect. Remember, this is supposed to be a subheading. It's supposed to be a title. Uh, he writes, 
Seeing and savoring this providence shows us that evangelism and missions are absolutely essential for people to be converted to Christ because God makes them the means of His work in creating saving faith. End quote. Now that's a long title. And your English teacher will tell you to shorten it. But uh, Piper uh, is Piper. And I want to explain that because we were, we were talking about whether his writing is difficult. In a way, it's, it, it's, his writing is many chunks of thought in one sentence. Okay? So you have many chunks, many words coming in, but each of those words have meaning. He's careful in putting those words together. He's a poet as well. So this is the way Piper thinks. And Piper has shared uh, in a sermon that when he realized that the Bible can be read as a reason argument rather than bumper sticker quotes, a light bulb went on. So if you want to know how to read John Piper, you have to understand that there is a chain of thought. And this comes across in his writings. And if, and if what I'm saying is true, which I think it is, you have to follow him from the start. And it's no good if you read from the middle, which is why I don't suggest you take Piper's advice on one way of reading this book. Piper says that this book can be read as a reference, and he has written it in a way to help people uh, read it from the middle. Okay? But, uh, let me read to you from one of the most controversial chapters in, uh, or controversial sections in this book. It has eight chapters, and it is on God's providence over sin. Okay, so does God uh, alter sin? Because that's a common accusation against Calvinism or Reform uh, theology. So reading from this, um, the opening lines from this uh, section, okay, let me read what Piper says. In the preceding chapters of this book, we have seen so many instances of God's governing the details of nature's events, Satan's action, the deeds of kings, the movements of nations, and the moments of life and death that we are led naturally to think of God's providence as all-encompassing, all-pervasive. In other words, after seeing the extent and nature of God's providence portrayed in chapters 16 to 25, our expectation is that there is no sphere of life, no matter how ordinary or seemingly insignificant, where providence is suspended or limited in its ultimate and decisive dominion. End quote. Did you hear that? The earlier chapters lead naturally to think of God's providence as all-encompassing or pervasive. Again, he writes, after seeing the extent and nature of God's providence portrayed in chapters 16 to 25. So if you read from the middle, having not read those chapters, you are just taking Piper's word for it. Why should you take Piper's word that what he says is true? Because in those earlier chapters, Piper shows you scripture after scripture, arguing that God himself says that his providence is all-encompassing, all-pervasive. Piper puts you in a position where you contend not with Piper, but with God, which is where we should be. We should wrestle with God. Is this true? Is what the Bible here says 
Is, is it true? And if true, then the end result is our mouths are stopped and we marvel at God's providence. But we can't do that if we skip chapters. So yes, that means if you read this book to fully gain from it, you should read this from beginning to end. And if so, you will appreciate Piper's frequent recaps. Like a grandfather holding his grandchild's hand to cross the road, he holds you even though you think you are big enough to cross the road by yourself. What I mean is, he tends to repeat his points in the beginning of every section or every chapter. But this is only to make sure that you are following his long chain of thought to fully expound on God's providence. Let me ask, who should read this? Most of the people who read a book like this are people who are not intimidated by thick books and probably agree with Piper. Because it's kind of hard to read a book on something you disagree with. What more when it's two, three times longer than your usual fare? Um, at least that's my own uh, experience. Mm. But I think if you disagree with Piper, you should read this book. If you have any um, you know, problems with Reformed thought or with Calvinism, then uh, if you want to escape the cardboard Calvinist or the cartoon Calvinist, um, we, we all have experienced the Calvinist who is a terror to his non-Calvinist friends. <laughs> Maybe he ends up not having any friends left. <laughs> you see, the Reformed thought is so neat and structured that sometimes, sometimes people fall in love with the Reformed system rather than the Bible. And they end up arguing from systems when they really should be arguing from the Bible. And um, sometimes they end up just arguing and arguing. And uh, so from your life experience, you may get this impression that Calvinists are always angry people or always arguing people. <laughs> uh, thus, it is good for you to read Providence. Uh, just so that you know what, what Calvinists like John Piper actually believe and teach. If you want to slay the dragon that is Calvinism, you need to know the real dragon, not the wooden stage prop. You need to go beyond the, the arguments that you may have heard and you may have heard caricatured. Okay? So they are so reduced and simplified that they don't really express um, the system. So go ahead and surprise your Calvinist friends by reading John Piper's Providence. And also, my second point to those uh, who might uh, be, uh, be willing to be persuaded to read this is that Piper deals with opposing thoughts with some tenderness, I, I think, I hope. Uh, he disagrees with, uh, obviously he's a man of convictions, and, um, but he doesn't demean, but instead he pleads for, uh, for us to look at the problems uh, from a biblical perspective, okay? So like I said, the most controversial uh, section is the, is the one on God's providence over sin. In that section, there's a chapter titled, Things We Know and Things We Don't Need to Know. In that chapter, he deals with the libertarian free will argument. And after describing some possible explanation, he writes, okay, this is John Piper, which of these possible explanations is in fact true 
is not decided by assuming the text can mean only that man's will is decisive in the moment of conversion. To assume one explanation or the other from the text alone would be reading into the text the assumptions we already have, not reading out of them what is really there. End quote. Now, this is a controversial topic, and um, maybe there's a bit more background that uh, you, dear listener, is not familiar with. But uh, let me just carry on, and I'll explain what the point I'm trying to get at. Piper continues, It is a mistake to assume that ultimate human self-determination is a feature of biblical thinking. Ultimate self-determination as a trait of man's will might be taught in Scripture, or it might not be. That needs to be decided from the teaching of Scripture, not from philosophical assumptions we bring to the text. This book is about what the Bible teaches. In the present chapter, we ask, what does it teach about God's providence over the sinful human will? I am arguing that it teaches that God, in His infinite wisdom and goodness and holiness and justice, knows how to govern the good and evil choices of all humans without himself sinning and without turning human preferences and choices into morally irrelevant robot-like actions. Uh, end quote. Let me just pause here for a moment. So the last part, did you hear that? So he's making this uh, statement, which is the, one of the main contentions in this uh, uh, God's sovereignty and human responsibility debate. And, and so he's asking us to not argue based on philosophy or what we think should or should not be, but what does the Bible say? And I think everybody should be able, all Christians should be able to agree with what he says here. Okay, So he's, he's inviting us to consider his arguments from Scripture. So even if you disagree with him, it's good for you to know what what he thinks uh, of uh, how the Bible uh, uh, presents uh, that position, where uh, humans, uh, he can govern the good and evil choices of all humans without God be being a sinner and without turning humans into robots. So uh, let me continue, okay? Just the last bit, okay, uh, from this uh, section. Therefore, in what follows, uh, Piper writes, uh, we should make every effort not to assume that ultimate divine control over evil makes God evil or strips man of moral accountability. The question we should be asking is, what does the text teach about reality? Let us not bring to the text our philosophical assumptions that dictate what God's wisdom and goodness and justice must do. Like I said, this is the most, uh, to me, the most controversial uh, aspect of this uh, whole Calvinism reform system. And uh, I'm not going to talk about that here, but I just want to say that uh, it, I think it's well explained in this book and it's something for, uh, for you to consider. I see it uh, being put forward in a pastoral tone and not so much on a debating tone. I hope you can take it that way. And if you cannot agree the conclusions, at least agree with the method. And if you can do that, you can gain from this book and go beyond the cartoon uh, Calvinist uh, thinking or arguments. Now that is for those who disagree with Piper uh, and can take a 700-page book. Now I want to talk to another group of people. And those are people who can agree with Piper, who can read thick books, but have been distracted by Netflix and other shallow entertainment. Am I being too harsh? 
<laughs> Have you listened to Paul Washer? He makes me feel like I'm wasting my life because I'm not planting churches in Peru. Uh, compared to him, all I'm asking is that you read a book. <laughs> but anyway, I'm just uh, jesting. You see, I believe the church needs people who can follow a sustained argument. I didn't say argue a lot. I said sus- follow a sustained uh, chain of thought from what the Bible says to what the church teaches, doctrine. So your watching sports or Netflix can be good relaxation. I'm not saying they are a sin, but what I am saying is it's quite difficult to see how Netflix helps build up the church. And I'm sure you can make that argument. But perhaps we can follow the argument in Providence rather than your argument from Netflix. Anyways, according to Piper, the fourth effect of Uh, seeing and savouring this providence is it helps protect us from the trivialising effects of culture and from trifling with divine things. And here is the chicken and egg situation. If you read this book, you will be protected from making the trivial effects of culture. Okay? Meaning that you will look at the serious things of God seriously. And you will take lightly the things that the world takes seriously, all right? The problem here is this. Most of us, some of us, are taking the things of the world seriously and the things of God lightly, and it is this group of people who will not read this book. So the ones who really need to read this book are the ones who oftentimes do not. So I ask uh, that uh, you consider, if not this book, then another book. But stretch your your mind, your heart, your spirit a bit more and try to feel the weight of divine things. Okay, so that's my plea to you. Do I have any criticisms of this book? Yes, the book is too short. (laughs) There should be volume two. Uh, The 10 effects are too brief. Um, They come out like a machine gun uh, at the end of the conclusion. And I think that more can be said, but maybe uh, Piper's publishers said the printer can't take any more pages. (laughs) But anyway, um, what can be in volume 2, let's say? Well, you could have how does providence help us in the day-to-day things. Okay, not the the heavier parts that uh, Piper has has uh, explained, and he has bridged it into our world. All right, so I'm not saying it's all theological, scholarly. It's not. It's by no means uh, a scholarly work. Okay, it's meant to be read by the everyday man. But uh, maybe volume two could show us connect the dots on school, work, marriage, parenting, retirement. Uh, so just help to connect the dots in everyday life, okay? And perhaps Providence Volume 2 could help us look at how Providence is like in the saints. Piper has written many short biographies. I have counted 27 in the desiringgod.org. And uh, I read some, and I recommend that you read them if you are not familiar with Piper's writing. And these are very short books. Some of them are just less than 10 or 20 pages. So if you are not sure whether you want to buy or read Piper, you can just download and read these uh, shorter biographies to get a feel for how he writes. 
And as I was saying, maybe this type of things can be in uh, in volume two. The whole point is to to see how what he has written in volume one and to expound it a bit more in the effects it has. And uh, but the funny thing is this: if there is such a volume, uh, most likely people will not read volume one; they will just read volume two, which just uh, ruins the whole point of uh, of the what I just said. <laughs> but anyways. Um, I really enjoy this book, and this is uh, uh, my concluding thoughts. This book has the potential to be a classic. We have uh, John Owen's books on temptation, Richard Sipp's Bruce Reed, Jonathan Edwards' Religious Affections. These are books that are still read 300 years later. 300! Piper's Providence might have a chance to be read 300 years later as a thorough biblical exposition on God's purposeful sovereignty. So, what can I say? Buy the book. No, seriously, I mean, buy. I know the book is free. I, I knew it was free uh, for download uh, when I bought it. But uh, I still bought the Logos version. Uh, why Logos rather than Kindle? Well, because... Uh, uh, Logos has more features and is more suitable for uh, Christian study. Uh, Kindle doesn't cater for Christian uh, studies and the features are limited. I can talk about it on another episode one day. But anyways, uh, I bought the Logos version. Now, why did I buy it and not just download the free one? Because I'm a fool. <laughs> I'm not brought up this way. I mean, I, I, I'm, we don't pay for things that we can get for free. And my reason is this. My reason for paying rather than just downloading for free is this. Over the years, I have gained much from desiring God in my Christian life and, and walk. But I know myself. I don't see myself any time in the future giving money to desiring God ministry because I will give to my local church and the ministry here. So, But I would like to you know, contribute or do something. And what I can do is buy the book. I have watched a video where Piper explains uh, uh, that he doesn't take in the book sales royalty. He says that all the royalties don't go to him. Instead, it goes to ministry. And at the end of every year, the board actually sits and thinks on how to give the money away for ministry. So my buying this book is just one way of contributing to a ministry that has helped me over my Christian walk. And uh, I bought the book having the confidence that uh, I will profit, spiritually profit from this book. I paid full price for this book and I profited greatly. I have no regrets. My hope is uh, whether you pay or get the book for free, that you will profit from this God-exalting, Jesus-loving, Spirit-empowering, providence-proclaiming, Reviewer exciting, reader enticing book. This is a reading and reader's review of Providence by John Piper. What great providence has brought you to listen to this episode? Let me describe the chain of events. It just so happens that whatever circumstances you were in, it has led you to listen to this episode. It just so happens that John Piper's book of 30 years in the making was published in April, 
which just so happens to be the time when I'm looking for a good book to review after launching the Reading and Readers podcast. Which means, if I didn't launch my podcast and Piper didn't publish this book on Providence, you wouldn't have listened and profited as much as I hope you did today. So let us praise God for His providence. Do you think Piper's Providence will be a classic read 300 years later as much as we read Owen Sibbs or Edwards today? If yes, email me. If no, email me too. My contact details are at www.readingandreaders.com I repeat, readingandreaders.com Thank you for listening.